Welcome to the Success Road Podcast. This is the podcast where we meet at the intersection of your life and then from there take decisive action to move onward toward higher levels of success. My name is Joshua Rivers from podcastguymedia.com and I am here to take you on this journey. Also with us on this journey today is Sean Rosenstiel and I am really excited about this conversation here. He works to inspire and empower people to be able to achieve their dreams and then to live the life that they truly deserve. Now, recently he published his first book, which is called The School of Intentional Living, A Real World Approach to Living Life on Your Terms. And he also founded the Intentional Living Academy to be able to support the readers on an even deeper level. And so I really love this idea of intentional living. And so, Sean, thank you very much for joining us today. Hey, thanks, Joshua, for the opportunity. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, absolutely. And so you're here now. You help people be able to live intentionally, but you haven't always been in a position to be able to do that. And that's because you weren't living intentionally yourself and you had found yourself in a pretty bad spot. And so the first the first half of your life uh, seemed like you got yourself into a lot of a lot of trouble there. Can, can you share where you were and how you got to that turning point and and all those things in that area? Sure. I think if we're being honest, it was the first three quarters of my life. <laughs> I'll be generous, I guess. But yeah. So I, I grew. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'll take it. So I grew up with a very conventional idea of success. Uh, you know, to be successful, to me, had to do with material possessions. So big homes, fast cars, fancy toys. And that was really my aim uh, throughout my teenage years and for most of my 20s. And I pursued that conventional definition of success so passionately and so blindly and so negligently that it actually led to my bankruptcy which happened when I was 28 years old, just one month before my wedding. And that was a real wake-up call for me. That was a real pivotal moment in my life because for the first time I sat back and took a little inventory and recognized how unintentionally I had been living. And at that time, I, I came to understand that my financial bankruptcy was actually the least of my concerns. I was physically emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally bankrupt. I was a hot mess. Still am some days, <laughs> right? But I was a real hot mess back then. And I think right now, I think the pandemic is, is doing that for a lot of people. I mean, I lost my identity when I went bankrupt. My identity was wrapped up in material possessions and status and everything was stripped away uh, in that moment. And I think this pandemic is making people feel that way. A lot of us are losing loved ones. A lot of us are, are losing the job, losing the income. Our businesses are struggling. Many of us are losing our convenience, our comfort, our routines. So, I, you know, oftentimes people say, well, do I have to experience just this big inciting incident, this big event to begin living with purpose or living intentionally? And I say, no, absolutely not. I mean, it's more of a, a mindset, I believe, than anything else. But that really helped me to turn the corner and make that shift and realize that life wasn't all about me. In fact, I was about to be responsible for another human being, my fiance at the time, 
Um, I was marrying her in 30 days. And I'll never forget, I made a phone call to my parents to let them know what had happened because I had borrowed some money from them shortly after school when I got settled into the real world, so to speak. And I ended up including the money I had borrowed from my folks in my bankruptcy. And it didn't really dawn on me at the time, but I knew then that they would be receiving a letter shortly from the government letting them know that their son had did this. So I said, well, I better, you know, I better give mom and dad a call. So gave him a buzz and delivered the news. And I'll never forget my, my dad said, you know, Sean, no one is responsible for you, but you. And then my mom chimed in and said, I think it's time for you to find a quiet place and figure things out for yourself. And that was guidance they had given me, Joshua, embarrassingly enough, for like 20 years, <laughs> you know, but, but I didn't have the readiness. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't in enough pain to take that guidance seriously. And I was finally in a position to listen and really let that guidance absorb. And that's exactly what I did. I discovered personal development. I began learning again. And it was really exciting because I never really appreciated my time in school. I always thought I was going through the motions, putting in my time. I would read something regurgitate on a test and forget about it. And I discovered, you know, in the real world, my gosh, I need help here. You know, I'm, I have an addiction I need to overcome. I'm bankrupt. I need to start a new business and try it again. I have relationships that I need to repair. I had all these things I needed to improve in my life. And what was exciting for me is that the things I began learning, the books I began reading, the audio programs I began listening to, the online courses I began taking, the events I began attending, all this stuff was finally relevant for me. I could actually learn something that was relevant, apply it in my life, and get results. So I feel like I discovered learning and self-education in my late 20s and really started appreciating it because it was so relatable and it was so relevant. And it was, you know, it was directly, it would directly impact the areas of my life that I needed so much help with. And I fell in love with it. I got a little bit addicted to it, if you will. And for the last 10 years, I've been studying this, this topic now of intentional living because I, I realized that back then I was sitting in this, as Viktor Frankl might call the existential vacuum. It's a place that's void of meaning, void of purpose. And I was struggling and I had a really hard time. And I said, you know, that was a really dark place, a really dark stage in my life. And if there's anything that I can do to help others crawl out of that space and live the life that, that they truly deserve and live a life with intention, I want to do what I can to help others to you know, move past that place because I know how uncomfortable that can be. Yeah. And, and like you said, over the last 10 or so years since that point, you've been able to really make some radical shifts because of being able to really reevaluate your life and all those different things. And I, I'm sure that there was a reevaluation of of like what was actually important, what actually matters, what your highest priorities were. So can you kind of take us through some of those pieces a little bit more? Yeah, well, I'm always fascinated. If you ask 99 out of 100 people what they really want in life, many people don't know. And a lot of people might come up with some very broad answers, but it fascinates me that we're not taught how to discover what truly matters for each and every one of us. We're all so unique. We're like snowflakes. We're all different. So I discovered for me that with this conventional idea of success, it was my, you know, my environment, my, my you know, religion and culture and society and formal education, like all these very positive influences at the end of the day, they were all positive influences. But I woke up one day and realized like, I don't even know what I want. 
I don't even know how I want to invest the time I have. You know, I, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> you know, I know where I've been and I know I don't want to go backwards, but I don't really know where I would like to go next. What does the future hold for me? So as far as understanding what matters and, and prioritize, you know, priorities is a kind of a big thing right now. And what's interesting is I was just on, uh, I was doing a training yesterday and I did a little research and the word priorities was singular. It was the word priority, but it became popular like in the 1960s, people started using that as a plural term, priorities, plural. But the root, you know, the, the, the idea behind the word priority was a singular focus. It was one thing. So I think for all of us to understand our priorities a little better, you know, you hear the saying, you know, you got to get your priorities straight. So I think to, to help us with that, we have to understand, you know, we have to kind of set some boundaries and understand the framework for our life. So with my book, the first chapter, my, my entire book, just for some context here, I've struggled for many years with how, how to write about this topic of intentional living in a very relevant and very relatable way. And what I finally realized was that, gosh, I really took some of the lessons, the foundational lessons that I had learned in school, and I simply applied them in my life in the real world. And that didn't sit well with me because I, didn't, I don't have very fond memories of school, but I had to give credit where credit was due. So I think for all of us to really understand what our priorities are, we have to, we have to start with this foundation of what matters. And in school... We're familiar with subject areas. We were given at a very early age some subject areas that we could tune into. You might have a math, English, science, whatever it was. But you had all these areas in school that were targets for you. You had to study those areas, continually approve upon those over time. And you had to be in a constant state of balancing. That work-life balance concept that's so popular, I think it's a myth. I think it's BS. I think that's, if that's your destination, you're in for a royal disappointment. You know, so I think it's the goal is to be in a constant state of balancing. It's a verb. It's not a noun. So back in school, we had to be in a constant state of balancing. We had five, six, seven subject areas. We couldn't pass in one, you know, excel in one and fail the rest because we wouldn't move to the next grade. We couldn't even excel in five, but flunk one, we wouldn't excel. So the real world's no different. But in the real world, I call those life areas. So at a very high level, they might be things like your health, your wealth, your relationships. Again, at a very high level, if we're keeping things simple. Within the health category, it could be your physical health, your emotional, mental health, your spiritual health. We're all different. But each and every one of us have to understand what are the areas of my life that matter to me right now in this phase of life. So once we understand that, then we can start taking some inventory, which is what I did so many years ago and which is what I continue to do. So back in school, we had progress reports. Those helped us course correct our grades before it was report card time. Too late. That was like a rear view mirror. So we had progress reports. So we can run progress reports in our own life as it relates to the areas of life that matter. So I like to give myself letter grades. I don't like scoring numerically one through 10 because I end up sitting with like a seven for too long and I get comfortable with that. And you know, a seven is like average. You know, it's a C if you translate that into a letter grade. And I don't want to be average. So I use letter grades. And those remind me, oh, I'm at a C here. And while that's fine for now, it is average. And my standards now, as I enter the afternoon of my life, my standards are higher than they were in the morning of my life. So the C no longer works. I need to raise that grade. 
So we understand what matters with our life areas. We take a little inventory. We assess our progress. We score ourselves with grades. And then what we can do to really understand our priorities is we can brainstorm all the different ways within each area of our life, the different ways that we can improve those grades. So let, let's say your physical health, let's say that's an area of life that matters to you right now. And let's say you have a D. A D is, you know, needs improvement. So what are some things I can do? I don't know. I can, if I'm gluten sensitive, I can become gluten free. If, if I'm a smoker, I can stop smoking. If I drink too much, I can cut down on my drinking. If I'm binge eating after 9 p.m. in the pantry, which sometimes is my <laughs> Achilles heel, you know, um, I can clear out my pantry and create a more empowering environment for myself so that the option doesn't even exist. I can exercise. I can join the gym. You know, I can do all these things. Well, we can do all those things, but it doesn't mean that they're priorities. So once we brainstorm all the different things we could do within an area of our life, if we just took a step back and reviewed that list top to bottom and looked for what Gary Keller in the one thing calls the focusing question, what's the one thing that will actually make everything else easier or unnecessary? So out of this big list I just brainstormed of all the things I could do, what's my number one priority? What's the number one thing I came up with that's realistic and doable over the next few weeks that will help me increase the grade in that area the most? So that's how I like to go about establishing my priorities because sometimes we get stuck with these to-do lists that just spill over from day to day to day and we procrastinate and sometimes we have a to-do list of 25 things and we look at that first thing and we just start knocking, we check the box, we just start going down one, two, three, well, maybe to-do number 11 is the one thing you need to do so that you don't get your head cut off in the afternoon, <laughs> you know? Sometimes the most important thing is towards the bottom of the list. So I think if you're looking to really establish your priorities, if you have a to-do list already, you can just look at that top to bottom and say, what's, what's essential today? Mm -hmm. You know, what really needs to happen today versus just going through the motions and checking it off. Or you can take a more thorough approach step back and look at the areas that matter and say, what are the ways I can improve these areas? And while those are all good ideas, this is the one thing within each area that can really move my needle the most. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. The one thing is probably the most recommended or quoted book on this podcast. <laughs> I, I, I highly, highly recommend that book. Well, there you go. You got to get Gary Keller on here, Joshua. That would be, that would be awesome. Yeah, Gary Keller or Jay Papazan, one of the two. That's right. Yeah, excellent, excellent stuff. And so, so one, one of the things that you mentioned there was creating your environment to be able to support the things that you're doing. Use the illustration there of the pantry for that. And I can definitely identify with, uh, with, with, the, with the area of eating when and what I should not. And I have, and I've shared on the podcast too, that I'm, I'm struggling and working toward getting um, better health. And so I'm uh, very overweight, um, out of shape and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things is I'm a snacker. I love snacking on foods and that does not work well. And since I started working from home a year and a half ago, it's the refrigerator and all that is that much closer. So I really, really appreciate you mentioning there about being able to create your environment so that it can help you be able to set yourself up for success so that like remove those roadblocks basically. So, so I, I really like that. And then the, the, the next thing though is after you identify what it is that's really important, what are some other things that we can be able to do to be able to organize 
our lives around those things that we have deemed to be most important. Sure. Yeah. So I use the metaphor of lockers and backpacks in my book just to keep it highly relatable, hopefully, and to make it easier to understand. But, you know, there's all sorts of pretty amazing organizational productivity systems out there. And I've been through quite a few of them, whether it's, you know, uh, David Allen's Getting Things Done or The Time of Your Life by, by Tony Robbins, The Bulletproof Journal Method. I mean, there's so much out there. I'm a real simple person. Growing up, my father taught me that complexity is the enemy of success, and I fully buy into that. So I try to keep, you know, life is complicated enough. Business is complicated. Relationships, are complicated. everything's complicated enough, and I don't want to add to the complexity. So I like to keep things real simple. So I talk about lockers in the book, and that's that place that we all knew we could go to to find our stuff. We, we organized, kept our stuff. Well, not if you were like me. My locker was a hot mess, but... Most people, I think, kept a pretty neat, you know, locker. Well, in the real world, lockers could be as simple as a filing cabinet. Like I have a filing cabinet, physical storage that has folders or tabs that are all named with the areas of my life that matter. And some people have businesses. You might have a dedicated filing cabinet to your business. Maybe you have a long health history. You might have a dedicated cabinet to your health history but I like to keep it simple. So for any physical paperwork, for any physical storage needs, as it relates to what we're talking about here, I like a file cabinet. Digital storage, digital locker, you know, there's Dropbox and Google Drive and all these, you know, storage solutions. And I use Dropbox and there's plenty of solutions. The reason I like it is it's simple and my folders are literally named after the areas of my life. It's really easy. So I go in there and I've got my, you know, health folders, I've got my wealth folders and I've got my relationship folders. So I'd like to keep it simple. And then anything I download, throw on my desktop, you know, anything I do, I can always find a home for it. So I, I keep that simple. But then we have these things called backpacks. What were backpacks? Well, they were, you know, this little tool we could use to put everything we needed in it to go out and win the day. So we have physical backpacks or briefcases or, you know, I'm, I still, I'm almost 40 years old and I still use a backpack. You'll never catch me with a briefcase. So I still have a physical backpack to hold, you know, a book, the book I'm reading, to hold my laptop, to hold my tablet, to hold my chargers, to hold my water, my snacks, you know, whatever's in there. So I still use a physical backpack, but then I also have a digital backpack. I look at my mobile phone. And the project management app I use as like a digital backpack that stores all this stuff. So if you actually took the time to sit down and brainstorm all the things you could do in all the different areas of your life, and you circled the one thing in each area that would really move the needle the most, well, you need to put that stuff somewhere now. Like you need a home for it. So I like personal man uh, project management software, and it doesn't matter which one you use. I'm a big fan of Asana because I found it to be you know, as simple as it can get, but you need a place to organize that stuff. So now within my project management software, I set projects up and I name them by way of each area of my life. And then I have three sections in them and we're getting like way deep and detailed here, but I have three sections in each area of life. I have a project section for the bigger projects. I have a priorities section for the priorities and I have a parking lot. So let's say you came up with 10 areas in the area of your uh, 10 things you could do to improve your health. You circled one. Well, those other nine, you got to put those somewhere. So I like to put those in the parking lot. 
because I might revisit those someday. Not right now, but I might revisit those. I don't want to forget about those ideas. The parking lot also gives me a place to dump new ideas out of my head and into a place where I can access it 24-7, whether I'm on the go or not. And what's amazing is I think studies suggest that we have like 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. And well over 90% of those thoughts are repeat offenders. They're the same thoughts we had yesterday, the week before, last month, and, and beyond, which is really frightening. So I like having a parking lot because I can then, if I'm on the go and I have my project management app on the phone, if I remember something, ooh, I have to call this person about that. Ooh, I got to send that out. Ooh, I forgot to respond here. I need to call someone for their birthday or I need to buy my wife flowers or anything as I'm driving or thinking or whatever it might be. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to throw it in the parking lot because I don't want to forget about that thought. What that does then, it gives me peace of mind that I'll remember it. It also clears up space in my head. It clears up some bandwidth so I can reapply and redirect that bandwidth towards creative thinking, problem solving, and some better things than just worrying incessantly about something, right? So within each area then I have projects, priorities, and parking lot. So you would take that information. That's how I like to organize. Stephen Covey said, you know, once you understand your true priorities, organize around them. And I don't know if you ever mentioned how to organize around these priorities. So for me, as far as how I organize around my priorities, it's just really simple. I put them in my backpack or I put them in my project management solution. And I have peace of mind knowing that they're there. So do you have a, a system? Because a lot of what you're referring to or what you were describing is um, very similar to the GTD method, getting things done, about getting everything out of your head, having a system in place to be able to store those. And that, that way, you, you know, and your, your brain can know that, okay, it, it's not done yet, but I have it documented, so I don't have to keep thinking about it. So do you have a system set up to where you review over what, what it is and it's like, okay, what is actually most important? What do I need to move up, move down? Yeah, and I'm a big fan of GTD. I, I, I'm a student of GTD. My, my disconnect with it was it, it, it's so, it was so good for like physical documents and paperwork and messes on desks and all that stuff. And my disconnect was like, well, we're, we're really in a digital world now. Um, so I got a little disconnected with that many years ago, but great, great solution nonetheless. Yeah, so I sit down once a week and I, I do what I call a weekly review. I liken this to study hall. There was kids in school who excelled. And while I was sleeping in study hall or daydreaming or whatever it was, they were actually using that opportunity to check in, to catch up, and to literally plan to study for what was ahead. So I have embedded like a study hall habit every Sunday for me is what works the best. But every Sunday afternoon, I basically pop open my calendar. I sit down, I pop open my calendar. I look at what's ahead for the week. That gives me an opportunity to resolve conflicts proactively. It gives me an opportunity to see what pre-existing commitments I have so I can plan and not come in at the 11th hour, you know, Mach 10 with my hair on fire like I used to. So it gives me that proactivity versus reacting through the week. Then I review every area of my life. I review my projects. I review my priorities. I review the parking lot and I decide, okay, what are the projects and priorities that I'm going to focus on that deserve my attention in the week ahead? 
So that's been a very powerful habit that I've adopted into my life for many, many years now. And I, again, I compare that to study hall. It's kind of like a study hall for your life in the real world. I apply it to my business as well. And then every single day, every single day I sit down. For me, it's in the morning. I work with a lot of people who are like, oh, I can't do it in the morning. The evening works better. It doesn't matter. You know, like you, you can sit down once a week and do that anytime you want. The point is you have to practice that. You can sit down in the evening or in the morning, whatever works best, but I go through a daily plan. So every morning, literally five to 10 minutes, I do basically the same motion. I check my calendar, make sure there are no surprises on that calendar. If there are conflicts, I resolve them in the morning so that I'm not stressed later when they're actually happening in real time. So I try to get ahead of it. I revisit my projects and my priorities and make sure that I'm focusing on the right, you know, three to seven things maybe on that day. Make sure I have enough free time, enough white space in the calendar. And then I actually take it as far, and this took me a long time. I resisted this for probably two and a half, maybe three years, Joshua, but I then take those priorities and I actually block time for those in the schedule. I actually structure out my day. Every single one of my days starts with the morning routine, it ends with an evening routine. And usually when I show this to people, they almost fall over. But what's really helpful about that is there are a lot of distractions. We are in this information age. Back in the 1840s, they called it the gold rush. I, I predict that they're going to call this the attention rush because everybody, everything, every business is after our attention. And I believe it's the number one asset we've got. It's that, you know, we're, we're the only species on the planet that can direct our own attention. So we have to really protect it. You know, that old phrase, uh, guard the, the door of your mind, right? Guard the door, stand at guard at the doors of your mind. So I like structure. For many years, I resisted it. Then I finally realized I did it once. I finally said yes, I gave in, I caved, and I did it once. And I was amazed I had more free time. I had more free time that first day that I actually structured out my calendar, scheduled out my priorities than I had ever experienced. And the reason is because it kept me focused. And what was nice is like people think we're nuts, but my wife and I, we, we schedule our family time. Like I know every day, Monday through Friday, from about 5.30 p.m. until 8.30 p.m., it, it's uninterrupted family time. I am with my family physically. I am with my family uh, mentally, which I think is more important. And my phone, my phone goes somewhere on do not disturb mode. So it's not making crazy noises because it will distract me. Talk about environment. Like I can't resist that notification. <laughs> I can't resist those. So I shut the thing down. If I have, you know, candy in the pantry, I can't resist that at 9 PM. So I got to create that environment that supports me. That's conducive to my success, my focus. So my phone goes away and I have three hours every single weekday. I'm so grateful that I have three hours of uninterrupted family time after my typical work day. My wife and I schedule, we will do like, we'll watch a movie. The kids will go down, we'll make some popcorn, we'll put our feet up and we'll watch a movie. We schedule that out. Why? Because it gives us permission to be fully present with ourselves, to enjoy each other's company, to leave our phones out of the room. And it creates anticipation and excitement because it's a treat for us. So I try to schedule as much as possible. That's my preference because I know how well that helps me focus. And a lot of people are like, well, that's too rigid and we can't control anything. And I'm like, I know. So that's another thing I had to learn is I had to learn to be compassionate with, with myself, 
compassionate with others. I had to learn to be patient and recognize the fact that we really aren't in control of many things, including our schedule, but we can certainly set that intention for ourselves the evening prior or the morning of, and we'll have a much more productive day as a result. And when things get off track, which they will, if you get into this habit, you have the ability to triage the moment you get back into your calendar and really make the most out of the time remaining in that day. Right. And I look for 80% compliance, Joshua. If I can hit my marks day to day to the tune of 80%, I'll have a great week. And then the power of the compound effect kicks in. You have a couple of days in a row, you have a week in a row, you have a couple of weeks, adds up to months, to quarters, to years. I mean, that that to me is really empowering to think that, wow, if I can have a a streak of good days here, mm-hmm. that's really empowering. But you can't have it all, you can't be perfect, you can't hit 100% of your marks, but if you can get like 80% compliance or so, and some days you're going to be way off. You know, just last week, I, you know, I think, I think I hit like 10% of my marks. I was totally off, but, but now I get to laugh at it. And, and in the moment, I don't panic. In the moment, I don't get angry. It's really easy for me to get offended, to get angry. But I know that, hey, I got this. It's okay. I'm organized. And I know that I'll be able to come back here and, and, and triage the balance of my day. And you know what? If I can't do that, because I'm off the mark until 9 p.m. because I was taken off in a major way, I can come back in the morning and pick up where I left off and start fresh tomorrow. For me, structure was a big, big tool that I use now to really make significant progress and to really experience that transformation in, in all these many areas of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've heard the the statement where people say, well, I don't have time to do that planning and evaluating and, and that kind of stuff. And then I've heard the other people on the other side say, no, no, I, you can't afford not to. And that's like exactly what you're saying right there. It's like you resisted that. I, I'm, I'm the same way. I resisted that for a long time and I'm still not perfect. I'm getting better. But I mean, really, I mean, taking that time makes a huge difference to really evaluate what's important. Then when you actually work on what the important things are, the, the, the magical thing is that the, the stuff that's not as important, they either take care of themselves or you realize they don't have to be done anyway. Right. And, and then it, you're able to be able to just make so much more progress for yourself personally, for your family, your business, wh- whichever way you want to look at it. And I, I, I like what you just said because there's the argument and, and, and I don't think either one of us are here to try to convince or steer or argue with anybody. But I will say this to the people that make that argument. How are things going? On a day-to-day basis, how's your peace of mind? Do you feel like you're living reactively or proactively? When things don't go your way, are you in a panic? Do you get angry, frustrated, stressed? anxious. How's your life? Because I've never once met anyone who plans with the understanding that we can't control everything, but I've never met anyone who was proactively planning and adding structure and was like, like I am a hot mess right now. My, I'm so busy. My life, I'm just going in all directions. I'm juggling all these things and I'm just, I'm stressed to the max. I'm approaching burnout. I've never once heard anyone who adds structure into their calendar say that. Not once. You know, Brian Tracy in his book, Master Your Time, Master Your Life, said that for every 10 minutes you spend planning, you save an hour of execution. 
And he says, that's a 1000% return on your energy. And I've experienced it. I'd argue it might be more than that. So I don't think you can afford not to put some sort of a practice in because the stakes are too high. There are too many distractions. It is too easy right now, sitting in the middle of this information age, to lose our focus. I lose my focus multiple times a day, and I'm very aware of this, and I work really hard at it, and I lose my focus every day. So I think it's really hard, and I think you know, many of us don't appreciate, you know, there are weapons of mass distraction, as I call them, everywhere. It's either social media or it's the phone itself or it's applications or it's the news or it's Netflix. I mean, the common denominator is most weapons of mass distraction these days, Joshua, involve a screen, <laughs> right? But these things are, you know, they're, 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 they're aimed at us all day, every day, 24-7, mm-hmm. and we've got to protect ourselves, you know? And I found that adding some structure and scheduling my time and trying to be more intentional with the activities that I focus on throughout the day helps to protect my focus and helps to simply increase my productivity day to day. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure being able to talk with you and be able to get this. We're just scratching the surface. And so your book is The School of Intentional Living, A Real-World Approach to Living Life on Your Terms. Where is the best place where people can be able to get that book? Yeah, thanks, Joshua. You can get it at my website, seanrosensteel.com. I'm not going to waste anyone's time uh, spelling that. Hopefully, that will be in the show notes. Otherwise, it's available on Amazon. <laughs> uh, so, how it Barnes & Noble, anywhere books are sold, you can get it. However, if you get it through me, right now I'm running a bit of a promotion where I'm uh, giving away a free signed paperback, just pay shipping and handling. So if that's something you're interested, come to my website for that. Otherwise, if you want like a fast, you know, same day, one day, two day delivery, that's going to be Amazon. Well, excellent. Thank you very much uh, for your time and for your insights here. I really believe that somebody's going to be able to take this and really make some drastic changes in their life. And uh, hopefully they'll report back to us and we'll be able to uh, rejoice with Hey, them. thanks Joshua for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And so for you listening, uh, as as we said, if you want to get the book, uh, you can go to those places. The links will be in the show notes for sure. So you can swipe over in your podcast app or you can go to successroadpodcast.com slash 429 and you can get the show notes right there as well and get right to that. And so with that, we're going to sign off for this episode of Success Road. But I'm looking forward to bringing you another episode next week. Thank you and God bless.